If you work for the Catholic Church and want to avoid burnout, overcome team dysfunctions, and put more souls in the pews, we're here to help. I'm Tai Hua, here with my co-host, John Kahns, and we're providing leadership development for Catholic ministry professionals. Every week, you can expect practical advice to help you move Jesus' mission forward in your parish. Today, we're answering the question, how do you make change happen in your parish? John? Ty, it's good to be here with you. Yeah, and I, I, there is a correction. It's, it's actually a, the second part of how do we make change in your parish? Because I think this week we're covering how do we implement the, the change, right? Uh, well, this week, actually, we're going to talk about communicating the change. So even before you implement it, letting people know. Oh, so it's, is that right, important? <laughs> well, we'll find out. <laughs> I do, actually. That is one of the things. I think that is a top mistake that most new Catholic ministry professionals make. I, I think it's really easy to say, well, we've all discussed this. Let's do the thing without ever communicating it to the people that are going to be a part of it. So, yeah, this is a really important part of it. And uh, I, I think let's just go ahead and we'll dive in this week. Uh, as we said last week, we talked about part one of our three-part series on making change happen in the parish. And that was how we identified the change that we need to make by asking ourselves one question. If everything else stays the same, what is the one area where change would have the greatest impact on implementing the church's mission? That's the one question. Let, uh, go ahead and go back to episode 28 if you want to get that primer. This week, we're moving on to communicating the change, and then next week, we'll talk about implementing the change. So, yep, hopefully uh, you guys are along for the ride. we got a lot of information this episode, but it, it's all really good, and it, it's going to help you with those transitions with those transitions and hopefully bringing your parishioners along in a way where they're excited for the changes that are about to happen. So this episode on communicating change, this is our old refrain, and we've said this a hundred times. This is all boils down to the idea that people will follow if they know where you're going and they know why you're going there. So that's what this episode is all about. And we break it down into to five things that I have done every time that I've instituted a a significant change in my parish ministries. So these are the five things that you can go through. And if you do that, you will experience success in communicating and bringing about change in your parish in a way that invites people to come along on the journey, on the adventure of faith with you. So number one, the first thing that you need to do before you communicate change and in preparation for communicating change is to pray. That is number one. Prayer always, I mean, it's always number one. We, we can't neglect that ever. When you pray, you have the opportunity to cultivate the soil in, of the hearts, like the minds of the people before you even begin to communicate the changes happening. You're going to the Lord and you're going to ask him just to work miracles, to transform hearts and minds and to make up for where you lack. And, and I got this little tip from uh, Father Josh Johnson. He runs a podcast called Ask Father Josh. And what he prays before he gives a message, before he does a big thing in his parish, he always prays, Lord, give me the gift of tongues and give the listeners the gift of the interpretation of tongues. That way, God's working from both sides and that they can only hear his voice. That's that's his big prayer. And that's a big prayer for me too, because Lord knows a lot of the stupid that comes out of my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> well, Ty's shaking his head. Yes. I... <laughs> uh, so I need and we need God to make up for where we lack. And then the other thing as we're praying, Lord, just keep us humble. 
let's make sure that this change that we're implementing really is coming from the Lord and that we're not getting in the way of that. So Lord, keep me humble, but also keep me steadfast because if I believe this is something you're calling me to and it might ruffle some feathers, I need to be faithful to that call. So Lord, make me steadfast. Give me strength. Number one, pray. And I think, too, a really important thing that you said about staying humble is because there is somebody out there fighting for you not to be humble, for you to be proud and pride-filled, because that is the quickest way that he can alienate you from your team or your staff, that everything goes haywire. He loves to create chaos. And the one thing he hates more than anything is humility, because he has none. So mm-hmm. that is so important to, to stay humble. Yeah, we, we can't forget that on the other side of that is is the devil trying to mess all of this up. So definitely, prayer, got to come first. The second one, we have to paint the picture for people. This is your vision statement. And, and there's any of a number way of ways that you can write a vision statement, but it should be concrete. It should be specific and measurable so that they know what it is. So a really simple formula is just that, We're going to move from X to Y by Z. So what you're really doing is showing them this is where we are. This is where we're going. This is the change we're making. And we're going to do it by next fall. Or we're going to do this when we come back from Christmas break. So you're setting a very specific, uh, you're setting before them a very specific idea, a very specific goal, a very specific vision, and an end date when this will be enacted. So it gives them something very real to wrap their minds around and begin having dialogue with. Um, Ty, do you have a, a different formula you like? I, this one's really simple. Yeah, I, I mean, I really like formula just because it's based off of the 4DX principles. But another way you could look at it is just, here's where we're at today, right? Current state. Here's where we want to go to, which is future state. And the difference between those two states is that gap that we need to cover and what is the best way for us to cover that gap so that we no longer feel the uh, the pain points of living in the current state, right? Where we can't find enough catechists. We can't um, get enough people to do different ministries or Ethel's doing 12 different ministries and nobody wants to be a part of it because Ethel's doing them. Um, current state, to future state, what is that gap that we're covering and why do we need to change? And it goes back to, well, the root cause of all of our pain points lies in us staying in that current state. So we need to get to that future state. But either way you look at it, uh, if you have a good formula that you stick to that people know about and they understand and they can champion, I think it's going to work out. Yeah. So the, this vision statement, it, it should be practical. It should be something that that it clearly measurable in some way like they can tell if you've done this thing um, but the thing that's going to make this work and make this stick is that your vision statement this thing that you are trying to implement this change that you're trying to implement that vision statement should be written in every major email that you send to your constituents in some way shape or form and it needs to be spoken out loud at every single in-person gathering that you have so that this becomes the refrain in people's brains so that they know this is happening. It's being very clearly communicated and, and they can respond to it. They feel invited to participate in it. So it's, it, I think that's the one of the most important parts beyond like nailing down a good vision statement. A simple, concise, transparent vision statement is just communicating the heck out of it in everything. 
Yeah, but more importantly, not just communicating in, in words, but in action. Because a lot of people will will see through the the words that are coming out of your mouth, but they can't see through if you're actually living it, right? Like mm-hmm. the the statement of, you know, you can can talk scripture all day, but the the minute you live out scripture, that's when people really believe it. People will believe witnesses before teachers. And if they believe teachers, it's because they were first witnesses, sure. right? That old proverb. There you go. Number, th- number three, <laughs> get other people involved in the process. So this is the third thing, and it's really important. And we talked about this a little bit last week with coming up with the change to kind of run ideas past people. But it is important to float these ideas for change by some of your key parishioners and your ministry leaders um, because you need some witnesses that aren't you to proclaim how excited they are. So this doesn't, for, for everybody else who's there, they hear that this is more than just something that you as the leader are imposing on people. You you need them to come then to these meetings, right? These are your early adopters. And, and that means maybe you need to have some extra meetings with these individuals, or at the very least, you need to remember to tap them on the shoulder at events and say, hey, this is something I'm thinking about. I want to run it past you. What what do you feel about that? How does it make you feel? You know, does that, is that something you could get excited and, and line up behind? So these, these are the people, they're just going to respond enthusiastically with your vision statement. And if they have that natural enthusiasm, they can become natural evangelizers for you. So you could have them then give a little testimonial at your town hall meetings or at events during the year. Um, but I think most, uh, most importantly, beyond just kind of like witnessing in an event, what you're allowing them to do and what you want to empower them to do is to speak truth into the day-to-day ordinary situations in the community where they might hear people speaking negatively about the change at the supermarket or wherever. Because it's possible that people, they're not going to talk to you about how frustrated they are with the change. Their tendency is probably going to talk mostly about it when you're not around. And so if you can have these people who are on board, who are excited, and you could just say, hey, if you hear any anything, feel free to speak into it, you know, and, and help remind people why we're making this change. And if, if again, if they're excited about it, if they're behind it, and that's why it's it's important to speak with them ahead of time, they'll naturally evangelize it. And it can build up a little bit of uh, excitement with other people and break down some of the barriers when they realize, like, you're not the only person who's excited about this change. Moving on to number four, we're going to look at putting on a series of town hall meetings. So this is where you're really kind of inviting people into a dialogue, and you're going to have two or three of them. It kind of depends on how your ministry is set up, uh, how your parish is set up, whether what, what are the dynamics of the people that are you're responsible for, your constituents. But you need to invite everybody by email, by text, every single method, hang up posters, but you need to specifically state in that that we are going to change some things. Because I think I think a lot of times we try to be clever, and we'll talk about this a little bit down. We try to be clever and invite them to a fun event. Instead, just tell them, hey, we're going to change some things, and we want you to know about it, and we want to hear what you think. And then these meetings, the whole point is really to help them to understand what the change is and why it's necessary as a response to the reality of the church and the needs of the parish. And And I would even say that we want to set up the conversation as a reality that we're always going to evolve the program, that this is our the new quote unquote the new normal, right? But that this is going to be an ongoing conversation that that we might change something every single year going forward. So this isn't a one and done thing, but this is this is a way that 
we want to always become more effective at making disciples of those who attend our programs. And so this is the start of that conversation. I think another important thing is that when you're having this meeting, you need to use data, you need to use real facts. And sometimes we try so hard, again, like I said, we try to be clever. We try to convince people instead of just telling them the honest truth about the situation. We try to, we try to convince them with clever sayings instead of just saying, hey, we don't have enough money and our parish might close. Right? That's going to pucker people up right away. And, and it's going to get them to pay attention. Because they're going to, oh, that's a reality we need to talk about. Or um, there's a, that scary stat that it says that 90%, if trends stay the same, 90% of your children's generation is not going to practice their faith after they leave your house. So if you tell people that, it has a dramatic impact. It perks them up. It gets them to realize there's a reality here we need to deal with. And it means we need to do some very specific things, some very real things, some important things, especially the changes. Like at one point, I was actually able to, I did a survey before one of these town meetings, and I was able to pull data that, that showed that the things that parents thought we did the best had nothing to do with the missional effectiveness of the program. Like they thought the time was great. <laughs> they thought that the days we met were great, some of those. Uh, but the things that actually mattered, the things that were connected to the missional effectiveness, like the catechetical materials that we used, the quality of the catechists that we had, those were things that they ranked as being subpar. So like, think about the, the aha moments that that creates when you can actually survey them, ask the right questions so you can say, hey guys, we are off mission here and we need to get back on mission. And these are the ways we're going to do that. It creates these real moments that, that where their own feedback becomes fuel that we can use to ignite that change. So that's really important to think about how you're going to approach this and how you're going to structure this conversation with them, this presentation, so that you can really set it up with, this is why we are going here. And the, the, the whole purpose then for these, uh, these town hall meetings is for them to understand the change, the reasoning behind it. But a couple caveats, it's not so much to get their input or feedback. It, it's definitely important to make sure they're felt, that they feel heard. But if you know that this is where God is calling you, then the purpose of this meeting is to tell them where God is calling you, not to say, do you guys think we should do this? So hearing their feedback, still good. It helps you to know what problems, specific questions and issues you need to address going forward. But again, you're not there to change things necessarily based on their input. You're, here, you're there to hear them. You're there to respond with patience, kindness, and an invitation to come along with you. Okay, so that's a, this is a whole lot of information for number four. This is a big one. Uh, but just a couple more things with it. Follow your town hall with an email summary and an invitation to get feedback, right? Either by um, a, a direct reply, tell them they can call you, maybe a, put together a Google form they can respond to or some sort of survey. But you do this with a couple times after your town hall meetings and, and you do it with a specific end date, you know, and you set that up. But the reason the reason you're doing this is because they're going to reach out to you a week before classes start and someone's going to say, wait, nobody told me about this. What, when did this all get so weird? <laughs> and so after having done all of these email communications, doing t several town hall meetings, communicating all of that by email again and inviting responses, you can feel very comfortable referencing all the opportunities they were invited to and, and it's going to handle that conversation for you because you're going to say, we, we did this back in 
January. It's July. Like, it's too late. <laughs> like, we're just moving forward with this. Um, and then the final thing is, what's the timeline for all these communications? And and I would say it, it's whatever it needs to be for you to be able to have enough to front load that time. I'd say if you're in the middle of a formation year, I'd just plan on it for the next year or if there's something you're going to kick off in the summer. But that's this is going to give you three to nine months where you can really hit the transitional communications out of the park. You can really buckle down. Think about, think your way through all of those pieces, how you want to communicate it, what what data and facts do you want to use to back up why we need to do this, right? Maybe thinking through some of those potential um, ask questions they might ask or those potential rebuttals they might have. You know, so I'd take three to nine months, you know, to really communicate that stuff, depending on where you are in the year as you're hearing this. But I wouldn't put it off until the following year, right? If you're in the middle of summer, like, get your stuff in gear, like, start communicating, Start having those town hall meetings and try to get it up off the floor this fall. Why wait? <laughs> All right. The fifth and final point, the fifth and final thing for communication is communicating things to your team. And this is a pretty quick one. It, it's a little thing, but it's really important. We've talked about this in the past for various uh, for various changes and various opportunities. Mostly this communication to the team is about making an announcement that you're changing something at your team meeting. But you really want to communicate to them that you are in control of this communication. You you need to field the responses if somebody calls or emails about the change. Tell them you want to them to be referred directly to you. Especially if someone's upset, like you do not need them to be responsible for handling that conversation. You need to step up and handle it because you're the expert when it comes to this change. You're the expert when it comes to your program. And nobody can walk someone forward and invite them into this dialogue better than you. So it, this is just like a really small but but important difference to make that you, you're making the change and you're willing to shoulder it. And that's going to avoid any, I shouldn't say any, but a lot of potential blowback on the team or miscommunications where the front office lady says, hey, so-and-so came in there really upset and it sounds like you messed up. You know, and you can say, Ethel, you know what? You don't need to handle those communications going forward. If somebody calls in and they're mad and they're even yelling at you, just send them straight to my voicemail. I'll handle them. Yeah. And I think, too, just being prepared for that is so crucial, because if if you have a, a team member that knows that they have a door that they can use as an out, like you said, hey, send them to my voicemail. I would actually recommend having a frequently asked questions page or a video response of like not that you're gonna have a response in preparation for somebody to chew you out but just like hey here's what what we're doing here's why we're doing it and using that as a pre as well as a post change is going to help clear a lot of things for your team and it just gives them confidence like dude if anybody's gonna come and try to chew me out because of the changes that our team is, has done, I'm going to make John answer for that because he's the one that is, is leading or spearheading this change. I'm getting behind him, don't get me wrong, but he's the one that they can take it up to. And if they don't appreciate that, then they can take it up with father. But hopefully, you know, you and father have a, a good relationship to where it's like, no, I, I put John in place for this very reason. So whatever he says goes. 
Um, so yeah, frequently asked questions page or a, a video, um, you know, just explaining why we're doing these uh, or why we've Im- implemented all of these changes. Which honestly could be a recording of your town hall meeting as a starter. Yeah. You know, just to say, well, we recorded it here. You can listen to this right here. This explains everything. So at that point, if you if you've done those five things, if you've prayed about it, you've painted the picture for people, that vision statement, you, you've gotten other key constituents involved in the process to witness for you. And uh, you've you've done a series of town hall meetings and you've communicated to the team the expectations for handling this change and the communications regarding it. At that point, I think you've you've really well communicated everything as well as you can, and you should feel really comfortable. And I think with that, we can move on to the devil's advocate. Dun dun. You know, John. What if people just don't like the change? Right? You've had all these town hall meetings. You've you've communicated it well, and you always have those few people that never say anything until after the change has already been implemented. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what, what if people just don't like the change? What do you do? <laughs> that is an excellent question. And uh, I, I just want to, I'm going to lean on Jesus for this one. Uh, Jesus has something very specific to say to this. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In many very real ways, you are the prophetic voice of the church to these people. And they won't all like it, but you are blessed because of it. And we have to remember that Jesus promises the cross to those who follow him. So the the reality is, actually, if you're not being persecuted in some way, you may actually need to spend some serious time in prayer discerning his will for your work to make sure you you are following what he's calling you to do. But blessed are you when they revile you. Blessed are you. Like, take heart. You're in good company with the prophets, with the saints who were martyred for the church, right? Luckily, we don't have to worry too much about martyrdom here in the United States, at least not yet. And there's a reality that There are little ways that we can be martyred, though, and we need to enter into that. We need to accept that, and we just need to join ourselves to Jesus on the cross in those moments. Like, it is a suffering. I don't want to belittle that, but it is something that we are called to. We're called to shoulder that cross. Yeah, and just stay faithful to the the mission. I think a lot of people start that, and then they get persecuted, and the next thing they do is they look for a different parish. (laughs) (laughs) like i'm out of here i didn't realize the ethyl in this parish was going to be worse than the ethyl in my previous parish i'm gone so i think a big part of that is like you said not not just to to pray on it and discern on it but just be faithful to it amen amen you have any actionable steps for us absolutely so This week, we're building upon the actionable steps from last week, right? We asked you to answer that question from above. You know, if everything else stays the same, what's one area where change would have the greatest impact on implementing the church's mission? And to think of three people that are invested in the ministries you offer, right? Run it by them. This week, we're going to build on that, right? We're moving forward into communicating change. 
So the first thing I want you to do is actually schedule your town hall meetings into the calendar. The reason you need you need to do this, the reason this is going to be effective is because if it's in your calendar, you have a deadline, right? Reserve that space, send the email, hold yourself accountable. And once you've set that date, like there's no going back. You got to move forward. You got to communicate that change. So start writing your vision statement, putting together your town hall presentation. And you're going to find that a lot of these pieces that we just talked about will fall into place. But that first one, schedule the meeting so that you have an accountability to moving forward. All right. Thanks for listening to the Catholic Ministry Professionals podcast. If you found today's show helpful, please immediately text it to your pastor and a friend in Catholic ministry so that others can find out about the show and begin transforming their parish through their work. We talked a lot about Ethel today, and I want you to know if you want your very own Ethel mug. You can get that at catholicministryprofessionals.com slash store. Of course, we'd always love to hear some hear from you, get some feedback either by submitting a review online or through your podcast app or just emailing us at catholicminpros at gmail.com. And as always, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or at catholicministryprofessionals.com. And with that, we'll see you in the vineyard. <laughs>